Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. This is Brian. This is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and I am joined today by a couple of people from a company called Copperstone Technology, Craig and Nicholas. Morning, Craig. Nicholas, how are you today? I'm doing great, thank you. Thanks for having us on today, Brian. Good, and that's that's Craig and and Nicholas. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Very excited. Yeah, me me too. Well, so Nicholas, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. My um, I'm I'm from Ecuador in South America, and I've been living in Canada almost for 15 years. I came here to do my undergraduate in mechanical engineering at uh, U of A, University of Alberta, and uh, I've been living in Alberta ever since. I recently finished a PhD in mechanical, uh, specializing in field robots. And uh, through the middle there in grad school, we had the opportunity to start Copperstone. So I uh, have a passion for field robotics in research and commercial applications. Oh, okay. Uh, amazing. And Craig, how about you? Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, um, I've always been a very curious person. I started out life with a career in science, <clears throat> doing cancer biology. Uh, I also earned a, a degree in finance uh, and with an MBA. Um, and just been involved in technology companies for about the last 15 years or so. Um, and so I got the fortunate opportunity to meet Nicholas about four years or so ago when the company was uh, still pretty early days. Uh, and, you know, we carried on some good conversations over the last couple of years. And about two years or so ago, uh, it uh, just made sense for me to, to join the company. And, and we moved sort of from that uh, early prototyping of robots and, and really focused on sort of the commercial development of the company in the last two years. Oh, okay. And then did you also go to the U of A? <clears throat> I did. Yeah. I, oh, okay. I went there. I liked it so much. I went there twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've got that. My MBA is from there as, as well as my bachelor's degrees. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, I got my uh, master's in engineering in geotechnical engineering from the U of A. It was uh, one of the most rewarding things I've ever done for my career. So, Nicholas, tell us about your robotics. What was your, in your uh, studies, what was the robot for? What did it do? Yeah, so um, we were working in field robots uh, with applications of environmental monitoring. So the particular task that we wanted robots to do was to be able to move on terrains that are, uh, that have properties that are unknown. And we were always thinking, um, especially in Alberta, for oil sands and the oil sands tailings, which is the material, uh, the waste material out of the bitumen extraction processes. Uh, so what we wanted the robots to do was to incorporate some of the technologies that have been developed for Mars and uh, planetary exploration. Uh, these have to do with understanding how the robot moves on the terrain. And then from that movement with the forces you can measure from that, uh, estimating the soil properties. And we thought this was important um, because we, through the conferences and through the published literature on monitoring of tailings ponds, 
it's we know that it's um, a, a environment that is very hard to access for humans in many cases not all types of robots or vehicles can move on them um, but there's a need to understand the properties of this terrain so what we ended up doing was instrumenting this wheel uh, mounted on a robotic arm that we could attach to any vehicle uh, we started with a small wheeled robot but the arm with the instrumented wheel was able to go on any platform and that wheel what it did was it would move on the terrain it would slip on it it would measure the torque the normal forces its speed and based on those measurements we were able to estimate the cohesion and internal friction angle of the material it's moving on and this allowed us to have a preliminary estimate of the shear strength of the material i think that was a primary contribution of those uh, years of research there were other like side projects like we instrumented and automated a bench shear test tool uh, we developed a, a, a method and equipment for measuring the inertia of some uh, complicated equipment or like in general any object and uh, we deployed the robots in the field at least in Alberta for the first time it was the first time we, we sent out robots to these tailings deposits that's that's great and then it it kind of expanded from there and and you decided to uh, turn it into a business which Copperstone now does yeah. so based on these research experiences we we learned the limitations of the current technologies and one of the key ones was that a wheeled robot like the mars rovers or any other planetary rover uh, we just not work on tailings because the material is can have the consistency from pudding or yogurt or honey up to hard ground and some of them are even water capped so what we did was for the commercial deployment of our technologies, we wanted to change the platforms. And that's what Copperstone is based around. It's like the platform of the screw drive propulsion, which is this uh, propulsion system that pretty much moves the robot instead of wheels having screws. So you can pretty much auger in through the terrain to move forward and back. But it happens that these screws are built around pontoons. So the pontoons are are also help the platform to float. So yeah. it can move on water, on hard terrain, all of those. Yeah, and I've seen a, a vehicle like that that takes a human to operate a full size. I, I can't remember what, what they're called, but they do seem very effective in various different types of terrain. I've, I've also worked with a vehicle that's called a marsh buggy or swamp buggy and it's a pontoon vehicle but it has tracks and i could imagine that the tracks could wear pretty quickly in an abrasive environment like tailings which is a crushed product so it's got a lot of sharp angular um, pieces so how, how big is your robot uh so we have two sizes the large one is the size of a car uh, it's around 500 kilograms uh, so it can definitely carry a person but we don't use it for that um, the other one the small one is the size of a desk so it weighs around 130 kilograms and there's two sizes because we focus on different applications some of them require heavy payloads and uh, large push forces and the other ones are carrying sensors that are fairly or relatively lighter mm -hmm. 
And you've got, uh, it's been used commercially? Yes, yes. So both platforms have been used commercially. Um, the big one for more geotechnical work and the small one for site investigation for like bathymetry. Ah, okay, okay. What, uh, what other applications do you see coming up for this? So there's um, like the need of platforms that can access difficult terrains are not limited to mining mm-hmm. and in general waste monitoring. Um, we have uh, we have had interest from com- like completely different type of industries. For example, even like sewer in- sewer inspection, oh, yeah. in which uh, at least in some cities it's very hard to clean the sewers before you inspect them. So you want platforms that can go through anything and uh, take measurements, video samples, whatever we need from difficult environments. Um, uh, the, um, uh, I was I was gonna say. Um, Besides mining, there's other areas that need to go act to access uh, difficult environments, like even researchers that are interested in understanding like uh, how marshes are being affected by industrial operations or how the permafrost is melting. Uh, all of those terrains require platforms that can access typically and in inaccessible locations. Yeah, that's interesting. It reminds me of a tailings facility I worked at in South Africa that had a decant tower that that uh, gravity drained into a horizontal outlet pipe and we suspected that there was some damage in the horizontal pipe so we hired a uh, camera uh, that's mounted on a little vehicle and you can send this vehicle up there but this particular one had a cable on it and it could only go as far as it could keep tugging the cable without the weight of the cable being too heavy for the vehicle to to advance so yours doesn't have that so you could send this thing until the batteries wear out or however it's powered yes yeah so we use uh, batteries um and uh, wireless communication. Um, we've had success with high range uh, Wi-Fi and uh, 900 megahertz radios for telemetry and control. But the robots also have cell and uh, we're thinking of adding satellite. So that really expands where you could operate them. And the vision would be that uh, we would deploy robots in very remote areas and we can control them from anywhere. Maybe from the headquarters of the operations, like a mining operation could be uh, from the Copperstone's offices. Uh, we don't we, we don't want to limit uh, the robots because of just the communication or cables. Right, right, yeah. It's oh, very cool. And Craig, what what is your role in the in this development? So I joined the company as the CEO. And so uh, Nicholas and, and our other partner, Jamie, are, are really focused on uh, the product engineering and product development. And, and Nicholas, obviously, the description of his PhD work there, he's got some deep expertise in, in how the robot interacts with the, the soil. Um, and so, you know, my, my role has really been to, to take the technology and help, and help move it forward as a business. Um, so we've, we've grown a, a team around this. We're up to... Uh, Actually, we're hiring hiring a number of people this week, uh, which puts us over over about the ten person headcount now. 
um, and then just a lot of the uh, the operational management, uh, customer relationship, um, and you know we're also always looking for money and, and growing the company through through some investment or other financing mechanisms. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. I, I could almost picture you know some military applications for a thing like this too, especially was, where ground conditions are just unknown or unpredictable. Right before COVID hit, actually, I went down to San Diego to a to a defense show uh, and and had some good conversations with um, the Navy SEALs and and some of the uh, uh, maritime operations uh, and they actually have an entire division called the amphibious vehicle test branch uh, which was very applicable to what we do yeah um, but applications of being able to to identify basically bombs on a beach uh, there's lots of unexploded uh, bombs on a beach and and the challenge on a beach is much like a tailings pond where, where wheeled and tracked robots can't really go and uh, robotic boats aren't very effective. And so in a lot of those beach and swampy areas, they actually have to send people as the major uh, uh, collector for these, these unexploded bombs. Uh, so really, really dangerous work. So that, that could be a good opportunity for us as well. Yeah, you'd, you'd mount a metal detector on it or something so you could detect them without driving on them. Yep, pretty much. And in an effector arm, we could collect them and bring them back somewhere safe, something like that. Yeah, interesting. Huh. It's uh, This is one of these cases where you have to decide what can your robot not do. Because it's, it's almost done what it could do. It's kind of a funny niche area, this, this transition zone between, you know, hard ground and open water. Um, it w certainly wasn't something I thought a lot about uh, until, you know, sort of rolling up my sleeves at Copperstone and, and, and really realized that there is a world of opportunities where uh, soft ground is a problem for trafficking. Yeah. You know, in Canada, obviously, there's lots of snow and, and thin ice and, and we have um, you know, in the in the spring and fall season, any water, any you know, lake, for example, is really dangerous because we have we have thin ice and it's too dangerous to walk on. You know, you can drive a truck on it in the in the middle of winter, but in yeah. in spring and fall, it's really dangerous. And so, a lot of activity, you know, even whether it be uh, environmental monitoring or, or agricultural activities around around lakes, all have to stop because you're just too dangerous. Um, and so part of the testing we did with, with our, one of our robots was actually driving out on thin ice and we broke through into the open water uh, uh, and then we were able to crawl back out. Uh, so uh, that was kind of an interesting proof of concept for us that we could, yeah. you know, it's, it's safe for us even if we do fall into the water that we can self-rescue essentially. Right, yeah, that was a, that was a good uh, proof of principle there. Too bad you didn't drop a, 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 a fishing line in the water. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. So, what's what's next? What's uh, what's in the plans? What attachments or accessories are you thinking about, especially with respect to tailings? So, um, there's uh, so many sensors that are commercially off the shelf that we can add to the robot, but uh, all of these sensors have limitations. For example, even on bathymetry, there's many areas that uh, are just too shallow for the typical transducer or sonar or optical uh, or well, 
echo sounders to, yeah, yeah. to be able to measure. So we have we have developed a few options for measuring the, the pretty much the mud line in under 30 centimeter ranges. Um, we have had uh, conversations with clients in which sometimes half their pond is in that range. Mm. And this is like hectares, many, many tens right, of hectares right. of material. So uh, we're always looking for opportunities to come up with new ways of measuring difficult things. So for example, that one, it's an actually a physical measurement that we can do continuously. We can always do those type of measurements, stopping and dropping a density plate or uh, pretty much a probe to measure that mud line. Yeah. Uh, but we want to do that continuously and collect as many measurements as possible. So we have a have equipment now that we can do that. We recently just deployed it in a mine in BC with uh, very successful results. Before the, the some of the surveys that they were doing was just a person on a boat, so the boat would never get close to the um, to the areas that were they were most mm -hmm. interested in. Mm -hmm. We were able to send the robot and collect some measurements there in the very shallow areas. Um, but besides the sensors, there's a whole opportunity on the whole automation of the survey. Currently, our robots can follow GPS waypoints and have an autopilot to move around the pond. Yeah. But, um, but there's so much work that we can do still to improve that. For example, we, we, we can do the whole pond edge detection so that yeah. nobody has to know how the pond uh, has changed recently. Uh, we don't need to know the edge. We just need to point the robot to the general direction of the point of the pond, press the button, and the robot would find the edges, find the obstacles, plan its own route, and then execute that safely. So, completely automating um, the pond surveying, and it might uh, it might be an opportunity to add intelligence to the system so that when it, for example, detects an interesting area like to whatever conditions that might be, it would stop and collect a sample, would deploy a specific sensor that would help identify why that area is interesting. So I think the next steps in general are automation and cooler sensors. Yeah, that's no, very interesting. I, I worked at a tailings facility where we had pretty strict um, rules on how wide the beach had to be to, to be able to um, mitigate seepage and each time we'd go around for an inspection we were basically guessing at how wide the beach was you know somebody would say oh, it's maybe 200 meters no i think it's more like three <laughs> 300 but if you could have maybe just a quarterly survey of, of the actual mud line then you wouldn't have to guess at it Yes, yes, that's that's where I think our technology could really help. Yeah. And that's part of part of where we're focused, I guess, as a business too, is trying to make the the deployments really easily. Because you know, if you really needed to measure that beach today, it could be done. But it's either it's either putting people in high risk situations or, or getting in equipment that can be fairly fairly big and expensive just to deploy. Uh, and so uh, part of the vision for us is to to make the robot uh, almost like uh, deliverable in a crate where you know you, you have a problem, we can ship you the, the right robot to do the right job and just have it go do that measurement for you quickly and easily, safely, and then uh, send it back to us basically. But, but currently you send a technician or an operator out with it, right? 
Yeah, right now we send out uh, uh, one or two uh, Copperstone personnel to, yeah. to operate and maintain yeah. the robots. Um, but as we put more miles on the robots and part of the uh, autonomy that Nicholas is talking about is, is making the robot just need less and less oversight. Uh, and right now it's, it, it's very little once, especially in a, like a bathymetric survey when the robot is uh, following a, a GPS-based course, um, very little human interventions required. Um, and we're just working to make that zero, essentially. Right, and, and you could always overestimate the size of the pond, and it doesn't really matter if it's going up on the beach. It's, it's going to know where the water is and where it isn't based on the data. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. It's really interesting. I'm really looking forward to uh, conference presentations or something like that once we uh, get conferences going again. I know there's a couple yeah. virtual conferences that are planned now. Uh, with, with, um, the one in Canada is skipping my mind, but it's a virtual conference. Well, yeah. Tailings and Mind Waste Conference in Colorado this uh, November. Right. Yeah, that should should be a good one. I, I don't know if they announced that they're going virtual. I believe I they are. Yeah. Are they? Okay. I know the hybrid anyway. Yeah, I know the uh, paste tailings conference is virtual too. Yeah, it's the the whole the new the new normal, right? For the time for the time being anyway. <laughs> right. Well, guys, we're we're kind of up against the clock here, but do you have any parting words of wisdom or, or where we should look for you in the future? Um, well, I really appreciate the time to have us on here today, Brian. It's, it's been great to chat with you and share our story. I think that's that's really the our biggest challenge right now is just getting people to to under, to know about us and really understand what we do and just to see that there's there's a better way, right? And and with the 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 recently announced tailing standards and all of the focus uh, on you know more proactive and better tailings management these days. Uh, we're really looking to work with with you know companies that want to be proactive and and are willing to consider doing things in a different way just so that we can we can all uh, I guess benefit from from better tailings management. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's wonderful. And if people want to find out more about you and your company, what's your web address? So it's CopperstoneTech.com. Okay. And your contact detail is on the, the website. People can find you through there. Yep. Yeah, we've got uh, uh, an information line. There's some videos on our website. We've got a YouTube channel that uh, is connected there, and you can sort of see what the robots look like and how they, they traffic. I think that yeah. really helps. Yeah. Really helps uh, drive home the message of, of the accessibility that we can offer clients. Yeah, like you say, the, the proof is in the pudding, and those, those videos are very revealing. They're, they're very... Uh, informative right yeah okay well for now i i think we'll we'll uh let you go see some of that edmonton sunshine <laughs> and treasure some of the warm days that are ahead of us now okay well thank you have a great day thank you very yeah, much absolutely thank thanks much. yeah thanks for your time and thanks for making me a little bit smarter <laughs>
Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.